podcast is brought to you by Welcome to this week's episode of Watch This or Die podcast. We are thrilled that you've decided to join us again. I'm Scott Crowshar. And I'm Matt LaPlante. And we will be your host on this cinematic journey. Now, each week we will be recommending a movie to you that we absolutely fucking love. And we think you will too. So for the next hour or so, we're going to do our best to convince you to go and watch this movie. Because your life might just depend on it. Now, without further ado, the movie we are recommending to you this week is The Rover. What feeling do you have when you wake up in the morning? When your feet touch the floor. Welcome into our 12th rendition of our podcast. We are glad that you're with us. We are recording earlier than when you're going to listen to this. You're listening to this on the 20th of November. We're getting close to Thanksgiving by the time you're hearing this. We still don't know who the fucking president is when we're recording this. Um, It's the week of the election. Uh, Hopefully by now, as you are hearing this in your ears, there is an answer to who the fuck the president of the United States is. I have a good idea who it's going to be. I'm not going to jinx it. I'm not going to spill it upon you. But hopefully by this date on November 20th, you have at least an idea who it is. I'm sure there's all kinds of legal horse shit bullshit because God forbid anyone acts like an adult anymore. Yeah, it's 2020. Like last week, Annihilation was really perfect. Again, this week's movie, The Rover, is really where we're headed. We are really headed for a collapse in this world. Our month of November has really so far been pretty spot on on the nose. We've had Blue Ruin, Annihilation, and now we're jumping into the rover, and I really do feel like it's just like a decline of our life yeah, and society. It's a it was slow, just, slow burn of November. It's just a death. It's a death march to 2021. So, But what do we expect? I'm super excited to be talking about this movie because I think of all the movies, maybe Blue Ruin is our most underrated one because a lot of people don't know it, but I truly feel, given the two actors in this movie and the brevity of this movie, this movie's phenomenal. So many people don't Absolutely. know about this, and when we say the rover, people are like, what is that, about a Mars mission or some shit? Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> That's immediately what you think when you hear, like, yeah, like a Mars rover. But it is not about the Mars rover. It is a fantastic movie, and we are going to dive into this beauty right now. Ten years after a global economic collapse, a hardened drifter relentlessly pursues men who have stolen his only possession, his car, in David Michaud's dystopian thriller, The Rover. That looks good. Is this man your friend? Tell me where your brother is. He's going south, a long way from here. I'll take you to him, I promise. Your brother left you to die. 
here to me. You don't learn to fight, your death's gonna come real soon. As I said, this is directed by David Michaud. It's written by David Michaud and Joel Edgerton, who is a fantastic actor of Amazing his own right. Amazing actor and a great writer and director. Yeah, I'm, I was completely blown away Jack that he actually turns, wrote this. Yeah. yeah, You know, he doesn't even start it. His brother, however, does have a cameo as a soldier yeah. in the beginning of the movie. It stars the great Guy Pierce, Robert Pattinson in an unrecognizable performance by him, Another man who is, the when I say his name, you're not going to maybe know him, but this dude is in a yeah. ton of shit, and he's a phenomenal he's a actor. actor. Scoot McNary is unreal. Yeah, so good. He is so good. Killing them softly. Oh, killing them softly. Uh, even his little cameo in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he's good. He's yeah. good in everything. He was good in the TV show um, Halt and Catch Fire. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, he's fantastic in that. He's great in a lot of movies. You don't know him sometimes, but he is a fantastic actor and always brings it whenever he's on screen. It also stars Gillian Jones, David Field, Tawanda Man... Oh, man, I'm going to butcher the hell out of this. Manimio. I apologize to Wanda to listen to this. And Susan Pryor. The reason you don't know anybody but the first three, and probably the really the first two, is this is basically a very dystopian. There is not a whole lot of people in the movie because it's yeah. shot in the fucking beautiful yet stark and harsh and desolate Australian outback. The setting really is perfect for what this movie is. Now, it was made on a budget of $12 million. It only grossed 3.2. Again, it's a disappointing gross because this movie was phenomenal and it came out in 2014, but it really packs a punch for what we are living in currently. It really has a lot of um, similarities to where we could be headed if we're not careful. Yeah, it's very relevant to now. It's 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 scary how relevant <laughs> it is to, to, to current right now. It's like, yeah. wow, this is how quickly uh, things can go awry. Yes, yes, really could. Now again, you know how I feel about ratings. IMDb basically failed it with a 6.4, so it got an F. Fuck IMDb. But everyone else fucked it too. The critics on uh, Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 66 and the audience score was a 51. I'm not sure what people were watching. I just don't know. Performances by the two main actors are some of their best. They're absolutely phenomenal. I guess from the outside, if you see the the box cover and you kind of get the idea of what this movie's about, it feels like it's an apocalyptic movie. But it's not an apocalyptic movie. Yeah. It's basically a modern day movie about de- about a depression that has hit the world again. Once again, there are pockets of people surviving. The wealthy always survive. And then the rest of the world is left to its own devices, much like a wild, wild west where there's very little law. People don't really care what happens. They just really are out there to protect interests of the people who still have money and power who are able to somehow survive whatever financial collapse this is. And what I love about it is you don't ever learn what the collapse is. All we know is it's 10 years into the future of it. Yeah. We get no You don't know what caused it. You just know that there's some sort of economic collapse that has just devastated everything. And you kind of, you don't even know why, like, Australia kind of became, like, almost like the last frontier that some people, obviously, from uh, the U.S. came to there to try to, you know, have their last chance at uh, survival. Yeah, it doesn't really give a good reason for that at all. However, we also realize that like Australia is completely isolated, being that it is its own continent, but it's also in the middle of the fucking ocean. There's not a whole lot next to it. Getting to it's very hard, and obviously, and however you did get there, you're not getting away from it anymore. Once you pretty much are there, you're there. And it's just a beautifully shot movie. It just really is. There's just so, so gorgeous. much, even though it's desolate, and and you're like, holy fuck. This is a movie that should have gotten more accolades and been trumpeted more uh, when it came out. And 
I got to see it in the theaters, yeah. and I was very glad that I did. And it was recently, I just recently watched it, I feel like a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago, on Netflix. It's since left Netflix, and now it can be watched on Showtime or Hulu if you have the Showtime combination. You know, all these little weird marriages that these yeah. companies now have. But you can watch it on Showtime anytime, and which is what I watched it again this week on. And I loved watching it. Every time I watch it, like it's one of those movies that you can sit down and watch it, and I don't ever get tired of it. It's got such a great moving story. Oh, it's, it, it is. It's it's fantastically just crafted. The acting is so well done by everyone in it. The only reason I could see the audience score being low on this is it is a very bleak story. A lot of people can't handle stuff that's very, very depressing to take in. And that's the only reason I could say that maybe that's why, like, people didn't, you know, they thought they were going to go in to see, like, almost like a, a more action-heavy type film, yeah. which yeah. could mislead the poster, you know, and make people think that that's what they can come in and see. Yeah. And they don't get something like that. But it is a fantastic movie. It was an early A24 film. That is a very yes, underrated yes, A24 absolutely. film. Absolutely. The A24 board that we're also a part of, which is starting to become this very niche criterion collection. <laughs> I don't want to say douchebag, but definitely hipster like thing now. Like, everyone take a deep breath, all right? They're making independent movies, all right? And they're making some good ones. So, congratulations to A24 for picking up the baton that the piece of shit Weinsteins dropped when Miramax fell apart because we found out that he was such a piece of shit. But yeah, Miramax in the 90s garbage. was the place you went. Miramax was the original home for the independent film. And it was the darling Quentin Tarantino who helped launch them and kept them afloat for many years and helped get all these other great projects coming out. Now, A24 has kind of, you know, picked up the mantra, and now that's who they are, which is great. But some of these, some some of you A24 fans, just relax. They, they're, yeah, they're some not, of them just don't, they, they only like certain, like yeah, they're very particular, like, it's oh. It's ridiculous. They're not like A24 this, films. But yeah, they're not, yeah, they're not. Let me explain how that works. They are the distributors of them, all right? And I'm very happy for them because we get to see some great films. The people who make the movies, it's their movie. They're just being put out by A24. If it was put out by Sony, it wouldn't matter. It's being put out by the this group and we're glad to have them but they're not a24 movies get that through your head all right they are the director's movies that are produced and distributed by a24 all right so take a yeah, deep this breath is david, all this right is <laughs> this is, this is a film. david michaud film all right just like hereditary and um midsummer and midsummer ari's, films. ari's films like everyone take a deep breath and relax all right and plus many of you probably don't even know that the rover was in a24 this is six years earlier all right They've been putting out good movies for quite some time. Let's just all enjoy them for what they are and stop making them one umbrella. This isn't Disney, all right? I'll get off my soapbox yeah. so that we can tell you the top five reasons you should watch this movie. The top five reasons to watch this movie. And the first reason is, number one, this is a brilliantly original and brutally realistic dystopian look at a modern-day economic collapse. Basically, a, the depression. It's a de modern-day depression. With the modern-day depression comes with the modern-day trappings of what is now in the world. It's very much a Western, but it's also a bit of a road movie. And it's about kind of two outsiders who have to go on a journey. As soon as I started reading it, I was bowled away by the world. The world's kind of really sort of fallen into a lawless sort of mayhem. You know, there's been an economic collapse. So I wanted the world of the movie to feel like a new gold rush. People have crawled out to work in and around the mines, and so suddenly, next thing you know, there's this world of hustlers and dirty criminals. 
in that mayhem of the year or two after Animal Kingdom, I thought, you know what, I need to consolidate my voice, whatever that is, and I want to work with people I really love and feel like I'm keeping some level of control over the thing that I'm making. What I wanted to do was come back to Australia and make another movie here. You know, I wanted there to be some parts that felt like busted and urban and other parts that felt entirely desolate. Those strangely, almost abandoned Australian desert towns are really quite haunting and, and beautiful. There's nowhere else like these places on Earth. I love the idea of a movie that's set in the future but is a, a very believable future. What really pulled it out was when the DP came and she really pulled the beauty out of the locations that they had found. I think the challenge was to find the language of the movie and how to photograph it in a subtle way. You know, it's all about the atmosphere and the relationship with these two people and the tension between them. To me, it harks back to, to great westerns, you know, a violent world where men are figuring out their survival. Working with those departments, costume and makeup, even production design, you know, the people who are building the environment, it always becomes something bigger and richer than you had first envisaged. Just from bits of dialogue and moments we get in this film, we understand early on, and actually the very first thing we get in the film is a quick title card that says 10 years after the collapse. They, that's yeah. it, they just call it the collapse. They don't give you any more information, that's it. Yep. It's very stark. We get some bits of dialogue that talk to us about Sydney being still a city where everyone gets money from, so there's still some things thriving possibly in Sydney, or at least they're doing a little bit better than where we are in the outback. But everything in the outback looks like, you don't know what it is. Like some some things are storefronts. They're like bodegas. Yeah. There's no rhyme or reason for what it is. It's almost Most like some of people it, converted their houses into storefronts. Exactly. It, it really reminds you of a modern-day Wild Wild West. Like oh, yeah. Selling the West. Except it's in the Dust Bowl. And no one looks healthy. <laughs> no one looks good. No one's prospering. It's all very odd and weird. A lot of the stores are boarded up like there's some shop on uh, 42nd Avenue in New York City back in the 70s when it was really crime-ridden. Like there's gates and locks and everyone's got a gun and no one trusts anybody because this yeah. is the wild, wild west. There Slide is no gas one. gas through cubby holes in the yeah. bottom of the doors. And you want to get information, you better buy a tin or something. I love that. He walks into a store and he's asking him a question and the guy goes, well, you got to buy a tin of things. I got a tin of things over there. Like, what are you selling? Like, what is the tin of things yeah. up? It makes no sense beans off the wall. <laughs> I don't know if I can tell you something. Yeah, it's crazy. You get the idea that there are things that are still running, and then the most of the country, they don't give a fuck about. At one point, our two characters, while they're driving, they come to a railroad uh, crossing, which I realized that the train in uh, Australia, they have some, that's a long fucking train. You get caught by the train at the tracks, you're sitting there for a good 20, 30 minutes. Oh, it yeah. seems like. <laughs> you're not crossing. But whatever they were hauling across in these, what looked like coal cars, you know what I mean? Like the one they used to transport coal in yeah, those cars. They had some soldiers guarding them. So whatever it was, so there's still a part of society where some things still have worth to them and other things don't. And whoever still is in charge, the 1% is still paying people to guard their interests and everyone else can go fuck themselves. It's exactly what this movie is. It's shows that if you are poor, you're always going to be poor. So stop thinking you're going to become a billionaire. Billionaires don't give a shit about you, so stop thinking they do. 
They don't yeah. care. All right. They don't fucking care. And when the world does collapse, they will be the people who will probably still be holding on to things. And you will be the one driving around buying tens of things at some roadside horror show in the middle of the fucking <laughs> Australian fucking desert. Yeah, exactly. The world is just set up so amazingly and just so realistic. It's it's fantastic and just greatly done and executed by David. It's amazing. The other thing with that, um, with you talking about the train sequence there, I almost feel like those aren't even um aren't even soldiers. They're almost like hired guards. Like they're like oh, yeah, some yeah. of the last few guys that got a job through. Yeah, like, they're you know, guns for they're, hire for sure. They're yeah. guns for hire. You know, they're you know their military numbers are, are slowly dwindling down because you know they have them spread out sporadically to these little outposts that are kind of trying to maintain law and order. It reminded me of like like when we're watching Star Wars. You know, if you watch the new Mandalorian show, it's like those little outposts that don't realize yeah. that the Empire has gone, and like you've got these guys who are just still playing yep. GI Joe. Yep. Even then, in one exactly. of the scenes we'll talk about, they you know they get paid to just basically kind of keep the peace, but they really don't give a fuck. You know, like no. like you're saying, the one thing the attention to deal is amazing, and what I mean by it that is. is is everyone is still wearing whatever clothes they had on the day that it collapsed. Like there is zero reusable or renewable stuff coming in. There's no shopping outlets. Guy Pierce and Rob Pattinson, they all stay in the same clothes the entire fucking time. And they've got permanent dirt and dinge on them. And at this point, they don't care. To include that they even went so far as they have DIY haircuts. Like it looks like both of them have cut their own hair. Guy Pierce has just basically, like like in the Grinch, what a hack job. Like it's a fucking hack job. God, it's awful. His head and then Robert Pattinson with that fantastic bowl cut. Oh, it is great because you tell he got a bowl cut and you can tell that what's his name is like growing this weird Australian mange mullet. Like yeah. it's, it's patchy. His it's scars are wrong. like come, you oh. can see some scars hidden in there and it's just like what the shit. It's it's so real and just yeah. Good. And none of his beard's not like it groomed at all. Like he's got the oh. neck beard and it's just the dirt is everywhere. Like there's dirt and grime. It's just always on them. There's just so much attention to detail paid. And the cars are old because there's no new vehicles coming out. Yeah. I mean, everything is just dirt and dingy. Every person you come across, there's no vibrant colors. Everything is muted. There's It's yeah. just complete just bleak. desert. It's all bleak. And to include, like, you know, like sometimes the flies are just circling around them. And I was in Iraq, and there was a lot of flies. And when you first get there, they're annoying as fuck. But after a while, you start to become like a horse. You start to just shoo them away from your face. Like, they just become part of the scenery. Like, after a while, you just get used to them. You just realize there's nothing you can do to get rid of them. Like, there's just no way to... After a while, you just shoo them away, and they leave you alone for a little bit. Or you try to keep any kind of food or anything that smells away from them. But this is what that movie was like. Like, there are flies always around him. And, or around them because they stink. I didn't do enough research to find out, but they don't shower much. There's not much bathing going on either. No. Like there's nowhere to bathe. Like even when he goes to get that, he washes his face in that like a communal wash bucket in that one yeah. weird ass Chinese restaurant. I don't know what yeah, restaurant that was. It's so weird. I don't know what that was. He basically walks in, has cleans his face, has a seat at a table, and there's he grabs his own glass and fills it with some kind of water. So this is the weirdest fucking yeah. TGI Friday you've ever been to. <laughs> <laughs> the worst. <laughs> it's the weirdest BF Changs in the history. Oh god, yeah. It's 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 so bad. Yeah, it's it's disgusting. No, yeah. Um, speaking of flies, yeah, there's a great scene that I won't get into much of uh, where there's just some dialogue interaction between Guy Pierce's character and one of the soldiers. 
through this long take of dialogue, Fly is just buzzing around the soldier's face and landing on him, and he keeps acting through it. And I, it was just so good because it yeah. added that touch. And I was just like, very glad. Like, I don't know how many takes they might have did for that, but I'm so glad that that was the one that made it into the film because it makes it just all the more real. Like, yeah. even even these soldiers that are these little outposts, like the lack of water or yeah. the use of them not using water to shower because they need it to drink, um, it's just real. Well, you could also see though that those soldiers were doing a little bit better because their appearance was a little more kept up than obviously our rest of the people. You know, like it was just a little bit. You could almost see like exactly. there was a hierarchy going through. But another thing that was very unsettling, but yet was had a very Mad Max apocalyptic feel to it is when they're driving and they're going past all of those power line poles that are in the shapes of crosses and people yeah. are just hung on them on every pole in a yeah. crucifixion uh, type of scenario. There is no reason or explanation. No, there's nothing. They, they drive yeah. by it. It doesn't seem to shock Guy Pierce. It does seem to unsettle Robert Pattinson, but no one says anything about it. We get no backstory for it. It's just there. It's just part of the scenery, and I thought it was so genius. Good. It just adds to that. It does. It makes you go, what the fuck happened? You know, you're not sure if just this so is... Just adds to this lawlessness. Like, there's just no rules. Or it's one of those things where, like, it's how they keep the law. You know what I mean? It's like, if you fuck up, this is how you end up. You know, yeah, like you know, a warning. Like, yeah, you know, and there's so many of them. You're just like... It's, it's crazy. It was just, it, there's so many things you can start to, you know, let your mind run with, which is why I think they did it. And it's such a nice touch. And, you know, we see it once and that's it. There's never, neither one of them mentioned it. They don't talk about it, which I thought was great. You don't sometimes need backstory. Sometimes you just can let the audience let them make their own assumptions of what's yeah, going it's on. It's just so much better that way. Yeah. To just build it yourself in your head and just make you think, you know, as opposed to just throwing everything straight at you. Yeah. It was, it was a very, very powerful uh, scene, you know, little moment, you know, while they're driving across this, this desolation. There was even a scene where, you know, to kind of say that little moments let you know that there was still some power at play and that the rest of these people were just fucking peons, just walking through the desert 10 years in kind of just like living how they live like there was just uh, there wasn't much fear of anybody do you know like no one seemed to fear anybody they're just like look we've all been doing this for 10 years i'm not afraid of you yet oh no everyone uh thinks they're uh, like clint eastwood and, yeah. and the good bad the ugly and everyone like, doesn't everyone. trust the other person no, no there's no <laughs> trust going on no, here no everyone's backstabbing everybody yeah. for the last 10 years everybody's yeah. been stabbed in the back by everybody that they fucking know they have no trust in anyone but also money doesn't mean a whole lot i mean and it no, still means some no things meaning. but it's something yeah. certain people but other people are like don't give a shit at all about money but i can't remember if it was before the crucifix scene or after but then there's this three car caravan that goes by them very much like they're going somewhere fast it's like they're guarding something you know something important you know almost like a presidential caravan and they go by and they like there's no mention of it but it's just those visuals that we're told that there are still sections of life that consider themselves important and that the rest of the people can go fuck themselves you know but knowing that they also yeah. know that they don't need to stay around where they get to go where they need to get to go you know that they're moving they're they were hauling ass and getting the fuck out of there wherever they were headed they're not staying around in these towns and, and you know and getting caught up because they're they're on their own too you know as much as they've left these people to their own devices there's no protection really for them like they have these small garrisons of like three or four people in it you know which isn't much oh yeah what really sells this movie is the second reason you should watch the movie number two 
and it is the very unsettling Stockholm Syndrome-like bond that our two main characters form throughout this movie, being Robert and Guy, and they have powerhouse performances. They are so Oscar-worthy, especially from Robert Pattinson. This is one of his yeah. best acting jobs ever. Ray is a bit of a dependent. He's very, very needy. He's quite sensitive, and even despite his neediness, he's been protected by people his entire life, and it also burdened them. Rob came in and just straight away was my favourite. I thought he was going to be some kind of teen heartthrob franchise guy, and he was not what I was expecting. I, I didn't even know that he was English. It was really evident that he really wanted to do it. He was willing to work hard for it, go into pre-production, and Rob's there two weeks early because he just wants to get stuck into it. He wants to spend time in costume and work stuff out. He wants to talk about the character. He wants to fool around with stuff. The character that he plays is so heartbreaking. What you doing with this car? It's my brother's car. I mean, it was kind of tough a little bit because I have to be a right prick to him at the beginning, you know. Who's your brother? Where is he? I have been pretty badly in almost all the scenes. <laughs> and the uh, guy who tried to beat me up as nicely as he could. There's no harm Henry wants to see me come to. Now I believe in that. Yeah, look at the harm you've come to and where's Henry? There's a real differentiation between age and life experience between Guy's character and Rob's character and how they mesh and how their life experience meshes over the course of the movie is really important to, to your understanding of it. I've sort of come in and played a primary role. There's Rob with the other primary role, so the pair of us are venturing off together. That was important for us to really discuss it and understand the levels of shifting power depending on where we were in the story. So it was a fascinating experience to share with somebody else, you know, to, to share with another actor. In a kind of abstract way, he changes quite a lot. You know, he's a kind of a half-glass-full kind of guy, and Eric's half-glass-empty, and by the end of it, Ray's kind of trying to be a half-glass-empty kind of person, but can't really manage it. I was sort of mesmerised by how totally loose and talented this kid was. It was a pleasure to watch those two guys in scenes together every day. In my opinion, it may be his best. I watched it again last night. I'm watching how he plays this dim-witted, almost maybe on the spectrum of autism, yeah. not high on the spectrum, but enough, like there's some social yeah, cues he's he missing. The, the, yeah, he's a lot of missing social cues. There's some tics that he has. Yeah. So there's some things about him that give you the sense that he has a bit of autism, which have gone without any kind of help or assistance or maybe yeah. even recognition. I think he's just considered dim-witted and stupid and yeah. he's passed off without knowing that he has some eccentricities due to the fact that he probably has some form of autism. But he yeah. plays it amazingly, like so, his... so well. He should have a supporting nomination. What is so necessary was so necessary for this. Like he's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, all the little ticks that he has just is so real. It's hard to watch. The way he almost doesn't know how to deliver his lines. Yeah, you just know, stuttering like the way he almost. Words. Yeah, it's almost like he's forgetting his lines. Yeah, and his facial ticks almost make you want to gouge your eyes out. Like they make you so uncomfortable because he can't stop fidgeting, and you almost want to just hold him still. You know, yeah. like, he does such a great job that it actually, it endears you to him, but also makes you not just frustrated with him. Like, there's so yeah. many great moments. It's never a still performance. Yeah, you get really attached to him, I feel like, in this film. Um, because, like, his character is just so interesting. Both characters are extremely interesting. But his character, in particular, is just so interesting. And, like, you do, you really feel bad for him under the circumstances that he is put into right out of the get-go the first time you see him wounded. You just know nothing's gone right. And then as you start to get introduced to this character more and more and you see and it builds this backstory and history behind him. It's just fantastic and amazingly portrayed by him. 
And this was his, you know, jump off from trying to get himself out of possibly getting typecasted after being in Twilight. You know, he is a traditional theater actor prior to being in, you know, Harry Potter and Twilight and stuff like that. I think he was in one Harry Potter film. He wanted this role so bad back then that he even said that he started dreaming of the character and that he was so anxious when he showed up at David's house to audition that he couldn't even go into character for 45 minutes because he was just just riddled with anxiety. And it's just fantastic. He did an absolute knockout performance. And also during that, uh, David, after you know he talked to him about doing this role, um, he told him to watch the documentary Bully from 2011, which is a, just a heart-wrenching documentary about real peer-to-peer bullying um, in schools across America. It will rip your heart out if you get a chance to watch it. And I actually watched it after watching this film. I could see where he kind of pulled some of his possible ticks from it and just the way that he handles conversations and stuff like that with Guy and with his brother and with the people that he runs to in his surroundings. Now the little kid I grew up on a farm. And we had these neighbors, real old man and lady, Vernon and Claire, that, his brother and sister. Mm. And they lived on this land that was all overgrown, like couldn't even tell what they farmed, so overgrown. And, uh, Claire had these eight tractors, and none of them worked properly. So every morning, roll each one down the hill, they got one of them started, and use that one to tow others back up. <laughs> and did that every day. And when they died, their, their family we'd never met before came around clear out of their house and, and found all this, found all this weird stuff in there, like, um, like 50 thermonic radio valves. Like real old valves, they used to know radios and pyramid of pumpkins and about 5,000 of these little sticks about this long. And, and they each wrapped up in newspaper and, uh, and tied up the ends of baling twine. Why are you telling me this? I just remembered it. It interested me. Not, not everything has to be about something. As far as Guy goes, uh, David wrote this whole character, Eric, who Guy Pierce plays, who is never named Eric. He's named no. Eric in the title, in the credit roll. He's asked his name two or three times. And he does never not says his say name it. once. Mm-hmm. Nobody calls him by it. He never tells his name. But if you watch the credit roll, his name is Eric. David wrote this for Guy, and Guy just delivers it fantastically. By the time we find Eric at the start of the film, he's basically reached the end of the line. He's trying to get something back that's been taken by three guys. He realizes when he meets Ray that he's connected to those three guys. Who's your brother? Where is he? So he kidnaps him, I guess. We actually see that Eric starts to feel something towards Ray. I've got a kid in the car who needs help. So it becomes a sort of an awakening of, of all sorts of emotional elements for both of them, I think. Is this man your friend? Working with Guy and Rob was a privilege. He's a strong through line for everyone to kind of grip onto. You don't learn to fight, your death's gonna come real soon. Eric's really out on a limb throughout the entire story. And Ray, I think, misinterprets Eric's passionate kind of violence as affection for him. Most of the preparation for me was in discussing the emotional states with David. 
and understanding that and actually trying to find what this person has turned into, almost what kind of creature has he regressed towards. Go and get your rifle. I love working with Guy Pearce. He's just a total pro, you know, it's, and he's a pleasure to direct. I effectively wrote the character for Guy. The choices that I was asking him to make and he realised he needed to make were actually kind of bigger than either of us had initially anticipated. We start shooting the first day, it's no dialogue, it's just one steady cam shot of him walking. I got tingles up my spine, you know, because the bold choices were there in that walk. Guy is a master at filling stillness with detail, you know, and giving you little windows into the soul that you need. Answer my question, I'm not going to say it again. He's like so open and so giving and so generous. It took me a few reads and a lot of conversations with David to really understand what it was he was after. This film is emotional and it's sort of subversive and powerful. He is this hardened man prone to fits of violence. Yeah, he's, he's Logan if Logan didn't have any superpowers at all. We learn early, not early, midway through the this, this film, he gets caught by this local military faction that kind of polices the area. Is the best way you can kind of describe it because yeah, like you don't know like, how they do it outpost that they must have took something from that they wanted. Just as this collapse is happening in the world, Guy Pierce finds his wife in bed and he finds her and his lover and as he says with his fingers inside her and he kills them both. He murders both of them in cold blood and nothing ever happens to him. No one ever comes to investigate. No one comes to arrest him because this whole collapse falls that they don't care that they are yeah, they just meaningless. Don't give a shit. And it actually, he actually found that was the worst thing about it is that no one came after him. No yeah. one cared that he did it. So he's got this heartbreak that he's carrying with him. And then his only thing he has is this vehicle. And we're not going to give away things, but the vehicle has some importance to him. And you'll learn as you go through the movie why. And once you watch the movie, go back and watch it again. There's a lot of telltale signs that will explain yeah. why he is that way. You'll see him early that you don't know until after you've seen the movie. When he loses this car to the brother and group that Mr. Robert Pattinson is in, that they, they did some kind of robbery, something that went wrong, and they left Robert back to die because they thought he was dead. His brother gets injured, and the other two men he's with, they, they flee. It's that scene we were talking about where he's in this weird eight Chinese bar. I don't know what the fuck it is. There are two Asian men in there. They've yeah. got Asian music playing. They're just laying there with each other. I don't know what's going on. He comes in, washes his face, and sits down to get a drink. We cut to this scene with Scoot McNeary and his group, and they're arguing over things about, you know, they're talking shit about Robert Pattinson. Yeah. Which we don't know it's him yet because we don't we haven't seen exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah, they, you don't know it's him. <laughs> but they're talking shit about yeah. your your dumb your dimwit brother. Dimwit you know? brother. And if he yeah. was a man, he would accept whatever. And exactly. The argument causes them to lose control of this vehicle, and it flips and rolls over. And in a great quiet scene, because the music is so loud inside the bar, we see the car slide across on the top of its hood past the window. And eventually it rolls off the side and gets back upright in some old, like, looks like power line poles that have just yeah. been left around. Like, oh, like big, like uh, yeah. large pieces of, like, conduit. Yeah, and they can't get the car, they can't get the truck out, so they steal his car. We're not turning around, he's gone. What do you mean he's gone? He was still moving. I fucking saw him still moving. We killed people. Fuck. What do you mean? Turn the fucking car around. He's gone. What are we supposed to damn do? Damn it, it's just not worth it for me to leave him there. We killed people, man. God damn it, please, I'm begging you. He's my fucking brother. I said this to that. Fuck you, Archie. Fuck you. You can't go anywhere without your brother. I'm very almost got my head blown off because he's a fucking baby who can't look after himself. Fuck you! Sit still! Oh, God damn it! 
So then now look what happens to him. Can't be feeling responsible for that. If he was a man who could look after himself, he'd be accepting it right now. Say that again. You heard me. You know it. Fuck you, Archie. Say that again. If he was a man, he wouldn't be crying about it. He'd be accepting it. Say that one more goddamn time. Said it twice, cuz. One more goddamn time, Archie. If I said it again, I'd say the exact same way. That'd be three times I said it! In that moment, he becomes the Terminator. He has a singular purpose to track this fucking group down who have just stolen his car too. In fact, he gets the truck out and follows them. And it reminded me a bit of a scene of this great movie that we will definitely know this podcast called Way of the Gun. Have yeah. you seen Way of the Gun? You yes. know what I'm talking about? Where I they love do that the, movie. They do the little they do the cat and mouse in the car. Yeah, oh, so fucking alley. good. So yep. amazing. That slow standoff oh, of just like catching up and then slowing mm. down. And just right there, he's, he's setting up that like... I am unrelenting. Yes. Like you, I am going to be the shadow behind you. Yes. No matter what. Well, they stop the car and they get out with their weapons and he gets out with no gun. He just walks up to them and the guy goes, how do you know I won't shoot shoot you? He goes, I don't. He doesn't fucking care. No, he doesn't have a fucking care in the world. He tries to strangle one of the guys and they knock him out. What's going on with you, brother? I said, what's going on, brother? I want my car back. Yeah, I can see that. You ain't getting it back. I want my car back. You don't give it to me now, I'm gonna get back in that truck and I'm gonna stay on you till you do. What makes you think I won't kill you right here? Huh? Nothing makes me think that. Wait a minute, come on, just want to... It's from that moment we realize that the car can't just be important because of a car sake. Because he gets their vehicle, and in essence, they he got the better vehicle. The one thing I did have a question is I'm not sure why they didn't want to give up the vehicle. The only thing I could think of is in that world, it's much like a prison world. You don't ever back down. That's you know that's how you're going to survive there. You yeah. don't back down. I felt you don't like go, they were oh, yeah. like you know it's the, it's the three of us to you. Like what are you really going to do? Yeah, we've like, got guns. You don't. We got guns. You don't <laughs> like come on, like give up. And especially with the old man that he tries to choke out. Like well, he that calls guy really bluff. tried to. He does. He does call, call their bluff because he knows, first of all, the guy to the left. So he's smart. He makes a smart move. He goes for the old man who's not injured, knowing that, you know, if he maybe can take him down, he can take out uh, Scoop. I think he calls his bluff because he's like, they're going to shoot him. And he keeps getting closer and so close. In fact, he starts to choke the other guy. And not once do they shoot him. They just knock him out. He realizes right then and there that regardless, weapon or no weapon, he's the alpha dog, and that at some point he's going to catch oh, up yeah. to them, and they're going to regret not killing yeah. him right there on the on the road. And you can tell right away that he's a man with nothing to lose. Like he had there, what what's there to lose out there? And I think almost every person we come across in the film outside of Robert Pattinson lives a bit like that. They don't have much of a care in the world anymore. They nothing means nothing anymore. They just sometimes I I think they probably are wondering why they're still fucking alive. Yeah. You watch the film, you go, why is any of these people alive? Like. There just doesn't seem to be a whole lot of anything going on for them. You yeah. know, like there's just a lot of, of craziness. But it's this moment that we then will eventually get to meet these two people. And when we do get to meet them, they are now going to travel because in a scene we're going to talk about in a minute or two where both Robert and Guy meet, Robert asks him, where's my brother? And it's at that moment Guy realizes that this kid knows where yes. the car is. And so he captures him. <laughs> What you doing with this car? It's my brother's car. Where's your brother? 
Where is he? Where's Henry at? Where's your brother? Where is he? You tell me where he is or I'm gonna kill you. Where is he? They go on a road trip over a course of like three or four days. The two men form a bit of a bond. Like at the end, you realize that Guy actually has a soft spot, a little bit of a soft spot towards yeah. Robert, even though he annoys the shit out of him mm-hmm. and is really using him to get to find where his brother and his crew went so he can get his car back. But he, I think he has been without company and someone for so long. That at first it was annoying, but after a while, I think he kind of really liked having him around, even though yeah, he, he was dim-witted and wasn't great at conversation and all this stuff. There was someone else around. It wasn't just him and his thoughts. And I think, you know? again, it goes back to, like, he has this innocence about him, too, that guy can see. Well, he's basically a child. Yeah, Robert wants to be friends with him. He really is. He's like a, like a teenager trying to impress, like, the older kid. You know, this older alpha to him. And he's just trying to do anything to impress him. Like, you know, even in uh, in the scene where, you know, um, when they're, he's trying to buy ammo and he has no money, he's trying to buy ammo and gasoline. He doesn't have enough money. And then Robert just pulls out this huge wad of cash and he's like, you know, uh, let, let me get this and this and this. And like, yeah, and he just like walks away. You know, he's trying to like win his friendship over, like through buying him stuff. You know, he's starting to get there. You know, he's, he's, Tried a few times with conversation with him, yeah. to which guy has shot down pretty hard most of the time. Probably the scene that really does it for him is after he gets. We're going to get into a couple of scenes. What happens? Why this happens? But they, when we talked about guy gets captured by these local law and local, basically the law, but really it's more of a military law. There's no yeah. cops anymore. It's pretty much hired military personnel being paid money to kind of keep the peace as best they can. Not really keep the peace, more about keep the interest of whoever's around. Yeah. Intact. They grab him and he goes to and tells the guy the story about killing his wife and asks him why he didn't kill him and all sort of stuff. And the guy basically is like, you know what? I really don't fucking care about you, pal. I'm just going to send you down to Sydney and whatever they do with you, if you want to bribe them or blow them or whatever, I really don't fucking care. I just have to do my job. Yeah. Has nothing, it has nothing to do with me. He's just like, I'm doing my job. Just fuck off. Like, shut up. I murdered my wife. I followed her to a man's house. I watched him put his fingers inside her and I killed them both. And no one ever came after me. Ten years ago. I never had to explain myself. I never had to lie to anyone. I never had to run and hide. I just buried him in a hole and I went home. And no one ever came after me. And that hurt me more than getting my heart broken. No one, it didn't matter. No one, you can do something like that and no one comes after you. You do a thing like I did, that should really mean something. But it just doesn't matter anymore. And so when he says him that, and then he tells him they killed him and hoping that's going to get a rise out of him to kill him. Because it feels like at that point, he just wants it to end. Like, guys, like, yeah. you know what? Fuck he's it. Just so why don't you put me down? Like, he's too, he's too proud and too stubborn yeah, a man to kill himself. To- but he's like... Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Why don't you put He's me down? Him on. But Robert comes saving the day and ends up killing all three guys who were there. They don't know he's there. He suddenly, you know, uses his own ingenuity, dug a hole out from under the fence behind that thing. They couldn't see him. He sneaks up on them. The two guys are sitting there talking. He shoots them while they're sitting there. Before the guy in the office can react, he blows him fucking away. 
And I think yeah. Guy is kind of like he's kind of angry because he was thought that this was his, his this ticket was to get the, the fuck the out. Over. Yeah, like he just was done with it. But then yeah. he realizes that Robert has now allowed him to maybe finish his quest of getting his car back, and he kind of yeah. he kind of is a little bit impressed with him. You know, I'm like he's like, damn. You know, sometimes he can seem to be a real fucking idiot, and we're gonna get into something that happens that really makes him fucking stupid and gets them in this trouble. But yeah, yet he's able to a couple of times. He can kind of think on his feet. You know, he isn't as useless as he kind of comes across. You know, so and. So so they, they kind of form this weird older brother. It's like almost like a stepbrother, yeah, you know, like really this older is. stepbrother. And they had to make this family. And the older stepbrother doesn't like this fucking guy because the guy's dad's banging his mom. And he doesn't like this fucking guy. He doesn't want to be stuck with this fucking kid. And then as they go, they kind of like realize that they kind of need each other. Like both of them really do need each other. Like guy helps to keep him alive a couple of times. And then Robert kind of returns the favor twice. Especially the fact that, you know, that guy realized that like, you know, Ray could have just left at that point. And just yeah, yeah, he was free. He had the car. He, he could be gone. Yep. Go. He was free to go. He made the choice to come back and save him because, again, like he wants to impress him. He wants to impress his stepbrother, this older figure to him that he actually does kind of look up to, even though, you know, he doesn't know the full reasons for why, you know, he knows vaguely why he wants to go just get his car from his brother. And he can assume that when he goes and meets his brother, things are not going to go well for his brother and yeah. the rest of his brother's friends. But, yeah, he had the chance just to go. He came back because he does respect Well, I think Guy also is the one guy who, even though, as we're going to get into the thing in a minute here, that he's harsh to him, he doesn't lie to him. He gives it to him straight. You know what I mean? Like, he gives him, like, the hard, tough truth. And I think Robert likes that because either he's been treated differently or, like, a kid because of his his disabilities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and he's been used for his gullibility, you know? He's never really felt, and he doesn't feel like his brother cares about him. You know, he gets to the point where there's a conversation we're going to get into that they have where it kind of feels like, you know, guy kind of gets put something in his head. And it kind of like washes over him and thinks, yeah, you know, I think he might be right. You know, this guy who could have killed me, who has no reason, you know, to be around, you know, he's given me some real truth. You know, he hasn't lied to me about anything. He's been straight up with me the entire time. And my own brother left me for dead and has never been straight up front with me. So the two of them are fantastic in this movie together. They're amazing. Yeah, their chemistry is phenomenal. Hope to see them and more. I don't know where Guy Pierce had to go to, but I that had to be a very tough role to play to always yeah, just be wearing be, that anger in you to just always so be like much. boiling he's, under the fucking surface. Yeah, like every like the only people that he's really like genuinely nice to is the few the bar scene. Like when he eats. That's the only people that he kinda like is <laughs> well, like, yeah. okay. That's it. The rest of them, like he's pretty much on the verge of like the vet is either, the only other person yeah, for a little yeah. bit. The, the rest of them is just like either like it goes my way or I'm going to fucking kill you. The scene that they meet each other is an amazing scene. And that's the third reason you should watch this movie. Number three. That is the roadside brothel sequence. Now, I'm going to forewarn you. When you hear the word brothel, do not get excited. Do not get excited at all. <laughs> Because this is some strange, dark, dark, it borderlines on some pedophilia possibility. It's a strange thing. And one of my notes was, what the fuck is with pedophile horror houses in the apocalypse? (laughs) What is, like, it feels like every apocalyptic movie, like, like, there's always some kind of weird, you want some boys? Like, it's so fucking Uh, disturbing. Oh. Gillian Jones, grandma is oh, she's so amazing. amazing in the role. The role she is so she is the fucking... toughest person. She's tougher than Guy, and that's yeah. crazy. She is like doesn't get a fuck at all to watch. And my first thought was, oh, she's gonna be like that lady from Hell or High Water. <laughs> what don't yep. you want? You know, yeah. you want you gonna have a boy or a boy? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Do you want a boy with teeth or without teeth? So what don't you want? Yeah. But she's not. She plays no. it very 
cool and yeah, very grand. Just knitting. Like. And, and I'm going to call you my love. Oh, yeah. well, he won't tell her her name. Yeah. And she won't let it go either. She nope. won't let it go. She's, she she's going to give her a name. Yeah. And then they, she's she's going to name name you if you don't give tell her your name. And yeah, so fucking good. But yeah, it just it just takes off. It's so great. Gets introduced to grandma. Well, the scene starts by him waking up after after that he choked, tried to choke out the guy and they knock him out. He gets back in the vehicle. They've moved him off the side of the road, which I thought was nice of them, <laughs> which was like something he wouldn't have done. You know, oh, like yeah, they, no. they move the vehicle off the road, toss the keys like five feet away and then hide, you know, drop him off. So he now is going to go town to town off this road, wherever it leads, to see if they find him. And the first place he comes upon is the guy with the tins. And he asks them a question. Have you seen a car? They haven't seen a car. Are you going to buy something? No, he leaves. He goes next door in this very weird, dark home. It looks like maybe some older men are laying with maybe some young teenage boys. You can't really tell. There's like It looks like a lot of men laying on the ground. And there's this one teenager sitting in a chair looking very... Peak it, I guess. Yeah. But I thought about this watching him sit there. This is 10 years after the collapse. Let's say he's 17. Yeah. It was seven when this happened. The last 10 years of his life have been a fucking nightmare. Exactly. Living fucking nightmare. He's just been at like the control of the people that run this house. He asked the boy a question. He says something about grandma or whatever. So he goes to find this old lady who's sitting in a chair and her room is probably the only room in the entire movie that still looks like it has yeah, a, a semblance of normalcy yeah, of like what it might used to be like. Yeah, and, curtains. You know, and she's sitting in a nice chair. She kind of picks up the place a little bit over there. Yeah, her bed is made nice. Like she's just, she's done up nicely. Like she's kind of, you know, put together well. She doesn't look like everyone else. She just looks like it looks like they've been in the longest summer ever in the desert. Like, this is, everyone is just in whatever they have, and they just really don't care. She's talking to him, and he's asking her questions. And she goes, do you want to lay with a boy? And she's like, he's very soft. Like, like yeah. the inside of your arm or something. It was so creepy. Oh, yeah, my God. Like, it was so just, creepy, though. She said it to him. He delivers so much just in the looks that he gives, the distaste. And, like, as, he, he like, can't you stand can just her. tell, yeah, like, yeah. She, every word she says is just getting her one inch closer to the grave for him. And that's it. Like, he just, he's, he wants a reason to kill her. And she's giving him every one. She is, but he walks away from her after she offers him a boy. And then yeah. he hears this game going on. There's this, what, wee person, a small person, um, I don't know, whatever. Little a little person, a little person, an Ewok. No, a little person is playing dominoes, dominoes with these two Asian guys. And this one Asian guy just keeps whispering in the other ones here. And it's just driving so him nuts. Stop fucking whispering. Yeah, I love that. And he walks in and he's like, I need a gun. And I was like, it just felt like it was weird. But yet I thought, well, this is 10 years into this apocalypse. It's like, so fitting. Yeah. Like someone knows where you can get a gun. And so the little uh, the little person's had enough of these two Asian guys whispering and playing. And he just fucking he leaves. He's like, fuck off. And yeah, he them. walks away. And he goes off and they walk across the street into this weird trailer park. Like it, it, there's a sign up. So it looks like it used to be some kind of traveling circus that just broke down there. Yeah. Now, this is important. I'm going to say it. I'm not going to give you anything else. But when you watch it, after you watch the movie, and you see the scene again. And you see everything in the movie, you'll be like, oh, that really was important. You can hear these dogs barking. And I'm going to be honest with you, the first thing I thought was, when I first remember seeing the movie, and I know this is probably a bad thought, but I was like, those dogs sound aggressive. And this little person is close to the ground, like literally right in their face line. You know, like... Like They could just gnaw his face off. Not that a dog can't bite us and hurt us, because obviously they're right near our junk, but we're a little bit taller, you you know, and you have a little bit of a leg distance. You can maybe kick a dog off or, you know, but when you're a little person, your legs, you can't run that fast. Like, I felt worried that he was going to be attacked by the dogs. 
I really did the first time. I saw them, I was like, this isn't going to end. Like somehow Guy Pierce is going to throw him into the dogs or something like that. They're going to rip him apart. Well, he ends up picking up a rock and throwing it at one of the dogs because he was just tired of hearing them fucking bark. Yeah. That's what I'm going to say. And they go into his little trailer and he's trying to sell him a gun. And he says, it's $300, 300 US. And he says, can you come cheap or whatever? And for whatever reason, these guns are loaded and he is the worst arms dealer ever, especially yeah. in the apocalypse because Guy Pierce just blows his fucking head, his fucking brains out the back he of his did, head. Just, he turns his just fucking head bang. into a cranberry. You got guns? What does it look like I'm doing up here? I heard you, I heard what you need. Fucking psycho. Careful. They're 300 each. That one's 300, that one's 300, and that one's 300. I ain't tag US dollars. I don't have 300. They're 300 US. Can you do this one for less? I told you how much they cost. Well, I don't have 300 US. They're 300. You don't have 300, you can fuck off. It seems sudden and out of the blue and out of character. But I promise you, it's it will make not. Sense. And it will make sense. Watch the movie, then re-watch it, and then you'll be like, yep, okay, now I get it. So he goes back over to Grandma, and I think his intention is to kill her. Like, he's like, you know what? Yeah. He's like, at he's this point, is the agent. At this point, yeah, his dander's up. Yeah. <laughs> he He's like, fuck it. I just shot yeah. this fucking little guy. You could see it all in his face and the way uh-huh. that he comes in there asking questions again. Now it's like, I have the gun and I'm the one who asks questions. Well, he comes in and he asks, have you seen a car? And she keeps saying, what's your name? And he won't. And he keeps, what, have you seen a car? And she's like, I'm going to call you my love. What does he need, my love? Whatever. Oh, and you can see in his face. And this is the first time I think that it's happened for Guy Pierce or his character where someone is more powerful mentally than him. Yeah. Like she and is not zero care. She's not afraid. This isn't the first time she had a gun in her face. She's naming him my love. Like she is mentally controlling him without him really realizing it. And you can see in his face because his emotions start to change. He almost starts to get sad. Like like this weird yeah. cry almost on him. He does. Eventually she gives up the information that she's found, that she did see a car, blah, blah, blah. And he goes outside without killing the old lady. But I put down that she is a fucking savage. She's a piece of shit, but she's savage yeah, she's none the less. piece of trash. When she pushes the gun down and says, stop being rude. Yes, now now you're just being rude. Oh, yeah. and it gets him. Like he it, almost it breaks. Him. Oh, yeah. my God. It, it really gets some Powerful scene. She's, she's the toughest person in the entire film. Yeah. As tough as he was walking up to those guys knowing they weren't going to shoot him or not caring, she was just as tough to him. She was like, it was like the roles got reversed on him. Yeah. You know, he, he was just being this tough guy. Like, he's no. never stood mm-hmm. up against this. No, no one has ever stood up against him. And maybe it reminded him of his mother or something. Like There was just something that the lady was calm and kind mm-hmm. and even though she was the madam she was like in charge like like she was fucking large and in charge and no one was gonna fuck with her and she had that aura about her that she was basically untouchable and then oh, i love when she was now you're just being rude like oh man she psychologically fucked him. him over yeah cuts him like a knife so bad and yeah then he goes outside and runs into robert he jams up against the car and because robert pattinson has been shot in a scene that we never saw we just saw him laying on the ground coming to and 
you know, there was a dead soldier whose neck, he was bleeding out through his neck, and another black gentleman who was dead, like, hanging over, like, a banister. Yeah. We have no idea what's happened. We have zero idea. We just know that he gets up and gets the hell out of there. And what makes him stop in that town is he sees their car. So he thinks they're there. And it's this happy accident that they now will be joined together. This character that I was writing for Guy was murderously angry about what he was witnessing all around him. And when we begin the film, we realize that we're slightly into the future. It's getting back to some kind of lawless, every man for himself world. But I see a vulnerability in Rob's character, and it just felt like the right dynamic. It's over for you. Whatever you think's over for me was over a long time ago. Ray is a character. I mean, people have just disregarded his whole life. So like, whenever Eric challenges him, it's genuinely the first time he's actually have to think for himself. There's no harm God won't see me come do. God feels nothing for you. You don't learn to fight, your death's gonna come real soon. First, the guy has to now drive him somewhere to save his life. The whole thing is bizarre, but he now knows that the ticket to find his fucking car is this kid. And what happens a lot in this film is your consequences, the, the consequences of your actions quickly come back to you. What was that sound? It's a car coming. What car? I don't know. That's two cars. How long till they're here? A minute, maybe. Who is it? Get your rifle. Do you know them? Go and get your rifle. Tell me what's going on. Who are these people? reason number four the roadside motel room scene now everything's roadside <laughs> there's <Yeah>. no <laughs> not, this is an america they're not no. venturing far away from the road here. no and when i say motel don't think days in you know think yeah think the worst think the biggest rundown think, howard johnson or a red carpet in something think really the motel bad from uh no country for old men where they have the standoff but the dust bowl ran through there and like devastated it <laughs> and there's only like one or two people there i don't know if you know but like in American motels, you get two beds to a room, maybe one. This one had fucking three. Yeah, <laughs> like it was very confusing. <laughs> very weird. Those three beds in there. And they're all like single beds. So yeah. this was simply just for sleeping. You weren't bringing anyone there to have fun. But this is where we actually get a great scene between the two of these men where there's a bit of a push-pull of who's the who's in charge, yeah. who's really running the show. And it's also when Guy really gives it to Robert straight. Yeah. He's a little rough with him. He kind of beats him up a bit, that is Guy being up Robert, tosses him around the room a little bit to get some fucking information on him and where they're going and all this other stuff. And eventually Robert does give it up through a stammer and stuttering and is nervous but Robert does do a good job he meets him out back and he's trying to show some balls and he's basically saying you know you need me because you may know what town they're in but you don't know where you they're going to stay they and only yeah. I'm going to stay so you need me so that kind of makes me in charge he kind of says to him and Guy Pierce, as stone cold as Clint Eastwood is looks at him and goes I'm taking you with me because if you're lying to me and they're not there I'm going to slit your throat Robert was like sitting there like almost like cock of the was like yeah see I told you I'm yeah, yeah I'm not afraid of you and then all of a sudden Guy delivers that line and he fucking shrinks right back down 
down. Like, yeah, almost like what that he old does. lady did to him. He just it's takes little, the wind the right way, out of his. He kind of like tilts his head a little bit afterwards, almost like he's in like shame by like. He well, I also he think he's hoping him. like. I think he's also hoping like I hope my brother is still there. You know what I mean? Yeah, like he's like, realizing like fuck. he's like I'm dead. Uh, he's not. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty much like I'm dead in this scenario. Like now he's like fuck. Will my brother be there? He already left me once. Like what if things went wrong somewhere else and he's not there? I'm a fucking dead man. And it's in this scene where they have a little banter back and forth. And Robert tries to basically, you know, say that, you know, his brother loves them and all this stuff and they're godly men and, you know, they're watching out yeah. for him. And basically, guys, like, God does not love you. Yeah. God has put you here with me. Your brother left you for dead. He doesn't care about you. He's not even thinking about you. The only person you have right now is me. Because I believe in God and I know Henry believes in God. There's no harm Henry wants to see me come to. And I believe in that. Look at the home you've come to, and where's Henry? He's waiting for me. He's not waiting for you. Yes, he is. No, he's not. I'll tell you what God's given you. He's put a bullet in you. And he's abandoned you out here to me. He feels nothing for you. Couldn't give a fuck if you died tomorrow. God gave you a brother who's not waiting for you. He gave you a brother who's not even thinking about you right now. Just because you and him come out of the same woman's hole. The only thing that means anything right now is that I'm here and he's not. Your brother left you to die. That's what people do. You don't learn to fight, your death's gonna come real soon. And I don't think he meant it when he was saying it as like, hey, you know, we're best friends or anything like that. But he's trying to make him understand that this rosy colored glasses you're yeah. wearing, you better get your shit together. Like, yeah, we are, this is hell. I'm Satan and you are fucking with me, pal. Like, yeah, exactly. Don't, don't think that everything's great. You know, your brother, does, your brother's is wherever he's, he's sleeping. He's not thinking about it. He's not even looking for you. He really makes, brings Robert back down to reality. And that's when he's like, fuck. That's how I think later on, you know, when he saves him and does other things, and he decides to stay with him when he could have left and didn't have to, you know, he could have been scot-free. He's good. He could be back down with his brother. Everything's going to be great. Meanwhile, guy's going to be dragged off somewhere, maybe killed, left, put in prison, whatever. Those two will never cross paths again. But I think it's that honest moment that they have out back in that weird motel that he kind of goes, shit, this guy, you know, like he's almost better off with Guy. Like Guy is really like kind of looking out for him, yeah. but really he's just giving it to him straight. Like He's got the best interest in mind. He's showing the world as it really is. Yeah, yeah. There's no candy coating what's going to happen. No candy coating to him. So <laughs> after this, after this little bit of a cold water to the face reality, that conversation they have, he goes back to his room and is a little, he's a little upset. He goes and he, he loads his gun. Prior to that, once he got thrown in the bed, he took his gun from him and he emptied all the bullets. And, and once again, Robert has like extra in his pocket, which he didn't think about. So he's loading it. I, at the time I watched it again, I wasn't sure. Was he loading it so he was prepared? Was he maybe thinking about taking out guy? You know, like there's a lot of questions that are unanswered when he's loading the gun, when he's putting more in the revolver. You know, I wasn't sure what he was doing because... The next thing we know is there is a patrol that drives by. So it interrupts what's happening and other things happen, which we'll get into in a second. But it's that moment when he's loading it after having that conversation 
where he's basically been told that no one gives a shit about him, that his brother's not there, he's dead. I wasn't sure if he was just getting prepared and, you know what I mean, ready to go, you know, for what's coming, or if he may be thinking about taking out Guy's character. I feel like he was just doing it physically, like, as a gesture for himself to try to, like, rebuild himself after that moment. Like, he just was, like, doing it as a physical activity to make himself feel powerful again after going out there and thinking, you know, Oh, after this happened where he, you know, threw me all over the room and now I thought I was going to go outside and I was going to beat him by talking with him and it didn't work out. I'm going to come in here and, and just angrily kind of load up this gun and inspect around the room until I'm a dumbass that looks out the window. Well, it's not that he looked out the window. It's how he reacted. Yeah. And the first time I saw it, I was like, that's horribly. ridiculous. But I thought about it in the context of his character and who he is. And, you know, the, the more times I've seen it and it actually fits because the first time you see it, he'd like die. Like he's the worst. It's the dives down knocking the blinds yeah, so everywhere so, yeah. it looks suspicious yep. you know what i mean even if the guy wasn't there looking for anything suspicious he's just driving by making sure things okay this guy brings on suspicion and he drops down and there's a knock on the door and it's a couple of knocks and he's sitting there he's got the gun and he just fires a round off into the door yeah. and he crawls over opens the door and lo and behold he has just shot a young little girl who's bringing him towels for his room Instantly, you can see the shock, horror on his face. Sadness. Of, He's just uh, he, he fighting tears believe. back instantly. He is absolutely distraught and wrecked. All of a sudden, the <laughs> bullets start flying at him as the soldier is now opening fire on him. Once again, to the rescue is Guy Pierce. I, I love the scene. He hears it. He just gets up. He walks. And the guy never sees him coming. The the soldier never sees him walk behind him. Bam! Takes him out, puts him down like a dog, and then gets Robert and gets the hell out of there. And sees what Robert's done, but he knows we don't we don't have time to talk about to talk it. About about it. Yeah. We gotta get the fuck out of here. Now. I love I love when he yells, "Stop shooting!" Yeah, because <laughs> he's still <laughs> shooting at him. And yeah. He barely he like moves his head from one of the rounds. Like he's like again with no he has fear. no care. He has no, no care, care in the no world. Fear. Mm-hmm. Like Robert hits him with a bullet and takes his head off. It, it was so meant to be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Stop shooting! 
It's a great scene. There are so Fantastic. many things that happen, and there's so many different moments. You know, he's kind of a bully to him at, at the start, and then he gives him some real, like, tough love, and then Robert gets a bit spooked and makes the biggest mistake of his life, killing that little girl, something that he's never going to get past. And then once again, this time Guy comes to the rescue of him for a second time, which he will repay him later. Later that night when they go and they lay down and they find another place to stay, you know, he's telling Robert to take a sleep or whatever, and he's just like, I can't get that little girl face. I can't stop seeing that. I've killed her. Like, I can't stop thinking about her. And I love Guy's response. He's like, you'll never stop thinking about a life you've taken. That's the price you pay yeah. for taking it. And it's just like, man, good. you know, like, it's like fucking Clint Eastwood. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, it's really good. It's such a great little line. And that led to that where they eventually the next day they get, he gets captured and Robert then ends up returning the favor and saving him. But it's that, that scene is there's so much brevity to it. There's so much of the heart of the movie. It's really the turning point between the two characters. That night, Robert makes a huge mistake and Guy saves him and gives him some real information. The next morning, he has the opportunity to just to be gone because he wants to take a shit. Guy got grabbed by these guys and they don't really say why they grab him. You know, maybe because he killed the guy. Yeah, I, we really don't know. Like They don't say it to him. They think that he may be related to the whole group, especially after the motel incident. But yeah, that's the only thing I can kind of assume. And probably because, I mean, he was sitting back there. The lady probably turned him in. She was the one who saw him. You know what I mean? Like, he, she might assume it was him, not the other kid. But they don't, they're don't. they not even looking for another guy. Like, they don't even look around to see if he's with anybody. And obviously, guy doesn't give him up, doesn't say there's someone else there. He just goes with him. That scene and the scene that follows after it, that's where they really become that bond starts to form. And it's a very odd bond that we talked about. But it, nevertheless, it really starts to form there and it's those moments where after Robert you know kind of returns the favor the next day to save his life even though we're not 100% sure he won his life saved I think Guy has more respect and has more of admiration and starts to really like Robert in whatever way that guys Guy can really like Robert you know in this world now oh yeah 100% he definitely yeah starting to I don't know if it's just he hasn't had any human interaction like this or if it is, he does feel sympathy for him or if even like almost like he it's kind of almost like he feels some guilt for, you know, how hard he hit him with the truth um, that is making him now like kind of sympathize more for him and kind of want to be friendly. It's this relationship that they form, which is kind of a catalyst to what happens in the fifth reason we believe you should watch the movie. Number five. And that is the Mexican like standoff ending of brother versus brother it's hard to describe this scene without giving too much away yeah but we finally catch up i mean look this is a a movie where the end goal is that they're gonna eventually catch up to these people and they eventually do and it's got some interesting moments prior to the climax of this movie and one of them is out of the fucking blue we have guy and robert from a distance looking onto the house and robert's telling him you know what to expect and who's going to be there and all this other stuff and as they start to walk away you know because guy says you know what it's less likely to be trouble yeah. if we so, you know we kind of surprise them in the morning yep. and which is true you know, catch them off guard they're, they're asleep you, know, you get the drop on them they have no idea you're coming in the first place and it's more likely that they're going to be in in an area and not spread out and not know if you know someone's over here, over there, what's going on. And they probably won't be armed. If they are, they won't definitely be ready to use the weapons. So they're going to go off and drive off a little bit out of the way and hang out for the night, you know, kind of bed down and, and prepare. And as they're walking away, all of a sudden this pop song comes on, loud. Pretty Girl Rock, and you're hearing it right now. I don't got to talk about it, baby, you can see it. But if you want, I'll be happy to repeat it, my I'm so very fly, oh my, it's a little bit scary. Boys 
That's the song that was playing, and it's jarring when it comes on. Yeah. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? And as it plays, we then see Robert sitting in the truck, and he's listening to it on the radio. Or maybe not on the radio. Maybe it's just in his head, and he's singing it. You know what I mean? Because I don't even know if there's any radio stations playing at this point. I think this is more of him remembering. Yeah, no, I think it, it, he's listening to it in the car. But uh, is he? he does turn it down. Yeah, because he does turn it down. He's singing to it. It was hard to know if there were radio stations or if it was on yeah, a CD it just or must what have been it was. a CD sitting in the car, especially since at this point they they, they have you know th- their old cars so you yeah. imagine oh, yeah. that it was probably like the mixed CD that they, they had I mean even if this is in 2014 we're talking 2004 since the collapse yeah. you know so yeah. this is before iPods this is before all that whatever yeah. oh yeah it's so good. Um, the reason uh, David made this whole scene uh, was so that to remind people that in like a normal civilized world that, you know, if this collapse and it hit, Ray would just still be a kid listening to pop songs and swarm over girls. He he's, has the mind of a teenager, you know, that wishes so much like that the world wasn't the way it is. He's trying to adapt to survive, but he doesn't know how to adapt to survive. But it's a fantastic scene that just, I remember the first time I seen it, it really like threw me off. And now every time rewatching it, it's just such a great scene because it does really give you this other side to him, this very innocent side to him. But pairing it with this just bleak, dystopian, destroyed world um, is just so great and smart. It's jarring every time it comes on because like, yeah. you're not ready for it. Because it's like it's this tense moment. Tomorrow we're gonna go do the we're gonna, the mission's gonna come to completion. All of a sudden, like this is really loud pop song, and you're like, it doesn't it doesn't fit with it. Like, yeah. Normally, you'd think you'd hear like Hans Zimmerman music, <laughs> right, like yeah. with the big like bass drop would be like coming in like a like a Christopher Nolan film. Like it'd be like the big dome. But when we finally do get the final scene, it is a great scene. And basically, Robert's character and Scoot, they are finally back together. And it's the tickiest that Robert's character is. He can barely talk. He can barely look at his brother. He's having a tough time keeping his eyes open. He's kind of pointing a gun at him. He's stuttering really, really bad. He's asking questions like, why did you leave me? I thought you were my brother. Like, it's almost as if like the voice of that conversation he had with Guy that's in his head is now fucking with him. It's really fucking with him. And he kind of turns to Severman and Scoot's able to grab a gun. And now they're, they're, you know, pointing at each other. Meanwhile, out in the front room, Guy has rounded up two of the other guys that were in the car with him, the old man and the black gentleman who had been driving. And they're sitting out there and he's got them at gunpoint and it just becomes a very tense standoff extremely tense and i won't give away anything else but it's sad because even scoot starts to he's having a tough time like why is his brother aiming a gun at him what'd you do to my brother answer me What'd you do to my brother? No, I didn't do anything. Yes, you did. What'd you do to him? The interesting thing is, Robert kind of realizes that what Guy had said to him was true. Because when he does show up, and he wakes up his brother. His brother isn't like surprised or excited to see him. He's just kind of like, "Oh, you're still alive." It's you know, it's, it's a like, bad shock. It's not a good shock. Yeah, he seemed more upset that he might have died 
in the earlier part when they had the car and now here he is in the flesh and blood and he's not as i don't know as upset or i should say as surprised or excited that his brother has somehow survived the inevitability of death and he's like well i thought you were dead and he's like i'm not you know like if someone you thought was dead suddenly walked in and you really cared about them you'd be like you'd almost be in tears like oh my god that you're dead like he doesn't have that reaction and i think that bothers robert and i think it causes him to further yeah. stutter you'd be running to like embrace them and hug them where he just it's like he's grieved over him and he doesn't care anymore and robert you know definitely sees that everything that guy said is true his, his brother doesn't care and nobody cares you know the other two cohorts and the the whole botched job at the start of this don't give a fuck they hate him you know they think he's an idiot he's been a liability he could have yeah. got them killed yeah. back then and for some reason, Scoot seems to be the leader of this gang, which is the only yeah. reason like, they've kind of put up with it. Yeah, is that he's yeah, the leader of the pack for them, which it's kind of odd with it. But they're a very odd three, you know, four, four, four <laughs> group of four that quickly turned to three. We meet this old mute mole looking yeah. like guy who doesn't say a thing. And there's a powerful moment at the end. I won't say with what. Yeah. I feel like he was just kind of like their home base. Yeah, he definitely was like the guy they knew in that town. You know what I mean? He's like the guy who helped them. He's like their grandpa. Yeah, like he was just their cover. But did did uh, did you notice that in the end of what happens, he's not there? His fate is different than some of the others? Yeah, yeah. And, and I, at the first time I watched the movie, I didn't notice that. Even the second time. Yeah, the last the night watching I it, notice. I noticed. I was like, wait a minute. His yeah. fate is different than others. So yep. that's as much as we're going to say. Just yeah. things things yeah. happen. But it's an amazing, amazing ending scene. The entire movie is just, it's brutal, but it's beautiful. And it's not like gratuitous violence. There's a lot of violence. No. A lot of it's shocking and out of the blue and it's fast. It reminded me a little bit of like sometimes of Tarantino's violence where yep. some of his quick. violence is quick. And you're like, holy shit, you're like, I shot Marvin in the face kind of thing. Where like yep. all of a sudden like something happens and it's a reactionary and someone gets shot. Which is real. Yeah. But you do get at the end of the movie, you will find out why Guy wanted his car so badly. You will find out. And then once you find out, go back and watch the movie and go through the scenes and watch the whole thing. And with the context of why he needed the car now and start to see some of the scenes where it kind of gives you hints. But there's no way you would have known without really being, you know, extremely like Nostradamus, like being able to predict this shit. But the more you watch it, you'll start to see these little hints and these signs like, oh, shit, that's why this happened. And that's why he reacted like this. You'll understand it once you see the full length of the movie and understand what happens in it at the end. It's over for you. I know that. It's good that you know that. Do you know it too? Oh, I know it, champ. I told you it. You know, it's over for you, too. Whatever you think's over for me was over a long time ago. I'm asking about you. You threatening me? No. A threat means there's still something left to happen. It's time to make some lists. So this week, we are doing for our film genre, we are doing the top five Australian films that we like. And I'm going to be honest with you. It was an easier list than I thought it was going to be. Excited for this one. But I forgot some movies were made there and then some movies I've never fucking heard of. So I apologize if we have any Australian listeners. I didn't know all your films. However, my number one map I would ever know. Some of you won't know, but it's, I can't wait. So I will be the one who goes first. So my top five favorite Australian films, and these are films made in Australia. 
Now we should probably make it that way. It's not just like there's Australian actors in them because that could be forever, but top five. Yeah, oh God. My number five is the very first Mad Max. I fucking love Mad Max. Mad Max is fucking awesome. Good old Mel Gibson before we knew he was a racist, so <laughs> anti-Semitic good. guy. Yeah. Um, Mel Gibson. But this, this is early Mel Gibson. Gibson. Yeah, early 80s Mel Gibson when he was really was born in America. Yeah, early yeah. 80s. I think it was like 80 or maybe even 79. I think it was 1979 Mad Max came out. Yeah. I loved Mad Max. Mad Max was great. It's a great car movie. It's a great independent film. Yeah. There's just a lot of greatness to it. And he plays the main character of Max phenomenally. I mean, the scene, and I, I don't know if I'm going to give away too much by saying this, but the scene that sends Mad Max on his journey the horrific event yeah. that happens to him. I mean, the way that he plays it, a lot of guys' performance reminded me a little bit yep. of Max with that it he is. is going to fucking get you or that's that. I love when yeah. he ties the guy up with the fucking bomb on his arm and he gives him the fucking hacksaw and he goes he goes as quicker to cut through bone than it is through that metal chain and just walks away from him. Fucking so good. It's fucking such good. a great movie. So oh. fucking good. Mad Max is amazing. And that, again, is a dystopian movie. And I felt like there was definitely some, some small similarities between the two movies, yeah, obviously one's a little much more. Being a, they're both road movies. They're, they're both, both dystopian movies. movies. Some shit yeah. has happened, but it's a little. This Mad Max is a little more showy, and this one's definitely more straight down the middle. Not we're it's not just trying dark to, yeah, and real. Very dark. And, yeah, they're yeah. both dark films, but they're yeah. both great in their own ways and have great performances. My number four is a movie that introduced us to. Uh, are you entertained? <laughs> oh. It's Romper Stomper. It is an Australian oh, so neo-Nazi good. movie. So good that almost made my list. It introduces us to the great Russell Crowe. So the first—it's not the first movie I saw of him, but after seeing him in some movies, I heard about this movie. And Romper Stomper is amazing. It plays so well in today's way. Fucking America is currently right now. It reminded me a little bit of an Australian version of A Clockwork Orange in a little bit of a way, if you know what I'm saying. There's a little bit of similarities between it, but an amazing movie. I don't want to give away too much because I'm sure we're going to probably cover it because I know not a lot of people have heard of it. Now, my number three feels like a little bit of a cheat, but it's not because it came out many years later and it stars different people, but it has a similar name. And that is Mad Max Fury Road. I love Mad Max Fury Road. So good. It was the first time the Academy Awards had some balls and were willing to actually credit a movie that was a sci-fi fucking apocalyptic movie movie. that really does star females in it. Even though I know we do have Mad Max played by a different gentleman. However, the performances by Charlie Theron is phenomenal. Uh, it, this, the whole movie is great. I love it. I mean, that whole fucking desert chase scene where they're chasing after him and they've got the fucking guy playing, the blind guy playing fucking guitar with fire. Like, it's so fucking good. insane. Then they have the dust storm and oh, yeah, oh. crazy dust storm tornado oh. thing that's going on. It's Unreal. insane. Actually, Unreal. today I was uh, seeing on, I can't remember what... Uh, what site it was i think it might have been cinema magic and they were doing side-by-side pictures of the film like post-production and them when they were shooting those scenes and it was amazing how little cgi they used it's absolutely fucking breathtaking and phenomenal how much like they just did with just camera rigging and then very light cgi just to change like the background scape of what they were in and to change the lighting and the colors that they used in the film 
um, which the colors in that film are fantastic. Yeah, they definitely bring more vibrance to it than what we had in the Rover. The Rover just went bleak, just straight on earth tones. This one kind of made the sand a little more red and orangey and almost like dangerous, you know? So it was really good. And so I absolutely love Fury Road. If you haven't seen it, you should see both those Mad Max movies. Most of the Mad Max movies are fantastic, but those are my two favorites. Now, my number two is something I've talked about before. It was in my slasher film. I believe it was my number two slasher film. And that is The Great Wolf Creek. Nice. I and knew I it was going to be on Yeah. Here. I won't say too much more about it because we're going to cover it. And we've kind of talked about, about it, it quite a bit. Yeah. But Wolf Creek is definitely worth it. It has a bunch of the bleakness that the rover has, but in a more frightening way. A much more frightening way. Because it almost is like a Jason movie. It's almost like these kids go to the horrible Outback version yeah. of Crystal Lake. You know, it's really, yeah. really is <laughs> The Outback Crystal Lake. It's an awful decision. Not an Outback Steakhouse. Awful decision by them, and it makes you go, "I never want to drive through there." Like I've no. all these movies have made me go. Unless you're never, Pierce. I'm only going to go to the cities. I'm only going to see Melbourne and Sydney. I have no <laughs> desire <laughs> to go anywhere else through the outback of all. Completely, <laughs> it's terrified. It's, it's done what Jaws yeah. has done yeah. to like the fucking ocean of uh, Cape Cod. These movies have ruined the tourism for Australia. But my number one is a movie that very few people have ever heard of. I watched it as a kid. It was on HBO. It was actually made by HBO Films. It came out in 1985, and it is called Fortress. This movie is Never seen a loosely based true story about a group of masked men out again in the outback who actually take over a school. They actually kidnap the kids from a school. It's fucking scary as shit, especially when I was little. They actually put them in an underground cave and we're going to use them for ransom. The kids break free and eventually come across them again. It's it's an amazing movie. It was freaky as shit. It was great. And it's called Fortress. And I have not been able to find it here. So I'm about to buy it on Amazon. No, but yeah. when I was looking it I up, it actually, it. I need to watch it. it actually won an award in Australia. And it's a fantastic movie. And I I believe it was loosely based on a true story that had happened over in Australia. There's actors that you've never heard of. It's all Australian. It's it's just a fantastic, fantastic movie. I really, really enjoyed it. It's scary as shit. I mean, there's some freaky stuff that happens. I mean, you know, these kids are at school one day, and all of a sudden these armed men with masks are fucking just suddenly there, and they kidnap them, and it's, it fucking terrorizes them, and it's really a fantastic movie. And the minute I knew we were doing this, like, oh, this is going to be my number one, because it's a movie that I think about all the time. Like, I've always wanted to find it again so I can watch it again and see if it still lives up, because obviously that was 1985, and we're now talking 35 years later, but I still think the storytelling of it is still will hold up really, really well. Those are my top five Australian films, and now now, Matt, I kick it over to you to see what shrimps you're going to put on the body. So, yeah, I'm going to start off right here with a movie starring Guy Pierce. My number five is The Adventures of Priscilla, the Queen of the Desert from 1994. Isn't that like one of his big breakout roles? That was his mistaken? breakout role. I thought so. 1994, yeah. A very young Guy Pierce. Fantastic movie about uh, two drag queens and a transgender woman traveling across the desert to perform their unique style of cabaret. It's a great movie. It, kind of brought out you know 94 was kind of like the birth of australian cinema to a wider audience with this movie and another movie i will mention shortly but yeah it, it showed their quirkiness they're very great with comedy and fantastic they're great with everything they're very dynamic and underrated 
starting to get acknowledged now more finally with Mad Max for Fury Road getting nominated for an Oscar for Best Picture. I wonder how much of that movie helped to inspire the two Wong Fu movie that eventually would come yeah. out here. Like that's later, what I was thinking like, when I was like, making this. Kind it of just, the it US feels version. like it helped with it. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? it is definitely like the U.S. version. But that will bring me to my number four being Picnic at Hanging Rock from 1975. It is a very creepy movie about a rural summer picnic where a few students and a teacher from Australia vanish without a trace. And it's just a very haunting movie. It was remade into an Amazon show, I believe, um, starring one of the actresses from Game of Thrones. Don't watch that. If you get a chance, watch the original. It is a great movie. It's very creepy. It's based off a book, and I believe it's actually based off a true story, and they never actually figured out what happened to these people, and it's just very, very creepy and haunting. It seems like people can easily disappear in the fucking outback. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Again, the reasons why we will not go off the main cities in Australia. And that will bring me to another film of Guy Pearce. My number three is Anne. Animal Kingdom from 2010 about the Australian uh, crime family. I've never watched the TV show because the movie is a fucking masterpiece. Joe Edgerton's in that, correct? I believe yep. he's one of the he family members because Guy Pierce plays the detective. Yeah, and uh, David, that was his movie that launched him into then making The Rover, and he actually got an Oscar-nominated performance out of, I can't remember what her name was. She plays the mother yes, of the whole family. Yeah, she's great. She's fantastic in it, and yeah, Guy plays the cop. I think she's the daughter of Grandma in Rover. <laughs> yeah, seriously. She really is. That's where she got that attitude from. <laughs> but yeah, such a great, great crime movie. Um, and, and it actually, you know, this is the reason why in Australia, they, the, that family is the reason why they banned guns. <laughs> their gun ban was because of them, of how intense their battle between them and the police was. It was very intense, up to par with the way the Italian mafia <laughs> used to be in the heyday. And that will bring me to my number two being also from 1994, is Merle's Wedding. And that took Never off. Heard of it. Tony Collette's amazing performance oh, uh, that amazing. launched her out into what now we just, she's our sweetheart. We love her after now finally getting snubbed again <laughs> for hereditary. But yes, she plays the amazing, awkward social outcast that just steals money from her parents to try to finance a vacation where she hopes to go find happiness and love and she is so great in it and just back then she showed how fantastic an actor actress she was back then and she's never stopped ever since then and i i love that movie probably will end up doing that because it's definitely a tony club movie that is not very known but yeah that'll bring me to my number one being george miller's magnum opus mad max fury road the only one we did together so that's yeah that's good it's his magnum opus you know i'm happy if it doesn't continue i know the rumors have always gone on for a while about them continuing with it since it was such a big hit for them i think he can end it here it was just it's amazing it's a perfect encapsulation of everything that he built through his mad max films and just it's perfect it's absolutely perfect it's it's a masterpiece i can't complain you know i love it it's it's amazing it really is now you have nine Australian films to check out that probably many yeah. of you outside of the Mad Max ones may have never heard of before. Now, as you may have noticed, we have one man we've been talking about. We could have done Robert Pattinson, but I feel like Guy Pearce was the strength of this movie. Yeah. And since we're talking about Australia before that, 
Guy Pierce will be the guy we talk about this week. He is our actor that we will tell you our favorite films of. And so Matt, once again, will lead it off, and I will close this out. Here is Matt's top five Guy Pierce films that he enjoys. So I'm going to start with my number five being Ravenous from 1999. So good. Such a great movie with him as John Boyle, uh, the captain, and them just in this dark cannibal in the 19th century like these guys so good i remember it scared the shit out of me when i first watched it and and i've watched it since then and it's kind of lost a little bit of its uh scariness over time but it's a fantastic movie i absolutely love it it's probably gonna actually make this podcast eventually one day because it's definitely not talked about a lot you know who I forgot was in it was uh david arquette yes that's right yes that's right he is yeah it's crazy oh it's a really good good movie. movie And uh, that will bring to a movie that I already mentioned before is um, The Adventures of Priscilla, The Queen of the Desert, with him playing Adam slash Felicia. He is fantastic in it. It's his breakout role. It was amazing. He took a huge leap uh, to do this with Hugo Weaving. Fantastic movie. If you get a chance, watch it. And that will bring me, now I will go into the crime section of this list. (laughs) And that will bring me to 1997. L.A. Confidential. Such a good yeah. We'll definitely do it on this because I don't think enough people know this movie. Great yep. thing is it stars two Australian actors <laughs> in it, both playing Americans, and that being yep. obviously the aforementioned Russell Crowe and has the great Kevin Spacey before we knew about Kevin Spacey. But he's so phenomenal. good. It's great movie. Oh, really such underrated. So good. Yep. Kim Basinger, oh so good. Great movie, underrated. Like, yeah, back then it got a lot of Oscar hype. I feel like over time again it was one of those movies that just got lost. I look forward to rewatching that. I can't wait for us uh, to do this movie and be able to rewatch it again and go over it with you. But yeah, that'll bring me to my number two being Animal Kingdom from 2010 with him playing the detective in it. He is fantastic in that movie. It is one of his greatest performances. Eventually, we'll definitely probably get to that movie also because, you know, there is a lot of a lot of Australian cinema has not been talked about enough. And we'll do that for you. But that will bring me to my closer with my number one being Memento from 2000 as Leonard, the man with short-term memory loss that is trying to find out who killed his wife. And the fantastic breakout movie for Christopher Nolan is, oh, it's, so good. it's my favorite role as him. It's, it's, it's his, his best. Yeah, like, it's his there, best. It, it, yeah. it was there was nothing really that could battle with this. It's so good. It's my favorite Christopher Nolan movie. I know it's hard. Lots of they all battle me, it. Like we talked about a couple weeks ago. Yeah, but yeah. it's just that great, straightforward story. And it, it was it's Christopher way back then still starting with, you know, his obsession of playing with time. And it's so good. Time through and memory, yeah. which is so amazing. Yeah, fantastic. But yeah, I'll hand it off to you. I can't wait to hear your list. So once again, we have, th- on this list, we have three of the same and two different. So my first is kind of, so I'll start with a bit of the uh, the Westerns of his. Uh, my number five is The Proposition. Nice. Uh, he plays a lawman who <laughs> is given uh, a chance to save himself. He can save his younger brother from being hung if he goes off and kills his older brother who is wanted for rape and murder. Um, it's a really good movie. movie. He's fantastic in it. There's a lot of great acting in it. Ray Winston's in it. There's some really heavy actors along with him. Uh, Danny Houston, John Hurt's in it. 
It's an amazing movie. It's a great Western. And he's great in Westerns. Like, we forget that sometimes. He really is. It, the great thing, it's an Australian Western. So the one cool thing about Australia is it has... Is it John Hillcoat directed that? Yes. Yeah. It has a very strong feel of American West. When you, I mean, when we watch this movie, the, the Rover, it feels like the wild, wild West. Just now there's roads with cars. You know, so the Australian Outback really does play well as a Western because even though it was set in Australia, and it's not like it isn't American, but it has that feel of being an American Western because of the similarity to the terrain and where they were. And Guy Pierce is really good in it. It's, it's a great little story. It's a really fucked up tale. You know, save one brother, kill the other yeah. brother. <laughs> you know? it's, it's wicked fucked up. That, that was a tough one yeah. to not put on my list. That'll lead me to my number four, which I think was your number five, and that is Ravenous, another Western that he is in. And once again, he has to... It's kind of like a uh, movie that's along the lines of uh, that the true stories of the Donner Party. But again, he's in this army outpost that uh, they hear that there is some kind of cannibalism going on in the upper hills in California, and they are sent to investigate. And some crazy shit ensues with some great acting and some... Um, I'm going <laughs> investigating that yeah, shit. Amazing like, no cannibalism <laughs> bullshit, <laughs> which was, was pretty crazy. Now, my number three is where we also differ as well. And this is a movie you didn't mention, I thought you would. And this is one of my favorite villain roles that he plays. And it's The Count of Monte Cristo. I love The Count of Monte Cristo. Such an amazing movie. Such a great movie of revenge and getting, you know, really exacting. That is the tr- it really is true classic, true classic revenge, revenge story, story. Oh, yeah. from book. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it really is like the benchmark that all their movies have kind of tried to model yeah. their revenge story from. And Guy Pierce is phenomenal as the villain. Like, you want Guy Pierce to die so fucking badly. You know what I mean? I wanted nothing but bad things to happen to Guy Pierce in that movie. He, is, he plays a great, great villain. He's played some villains in other movies, but I think his greatest villain is this one in The Count of Monte Cristo. He is just sinister. And... Oh, and not not in like a Darth Vader or you know like yeah not, it's 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 a cocky I'm better than you you know it's just you know almost like I'm I'm rich I'm I'm I snubbed his nose at you it's that kind of piece of shit kind of person and oh when he gets his comeuppance it's fantastic and the Count of Monte Cristo is an amazing book but it's an amazing movie as well now we are going to come very close to our ones and twos my number two is L.A. Confidential, where he Guy Pierce kind of plays oh, a bit yeah. of the bad guy. He is a little bit of the bad guy. Yeah. Kind of, you kind, you kind of feel like he's a bit of the bad guy. It is such a great, first of all, ensemble piece with the three main actors being him, Russell Crowe, and Kevin Spacey. The three of them together are absolutely fantastic in this movie. If you can get past, you know, what Kevin Spacey's been accused of, and, the, and you can, you know, separate the artist from um, his life, you're going to thoroughly enjoy this movie because the the three of them together are fantastic. And then you throw in Kim Basinger, Dan DeVito. It's just, it's a phenomenal storytelling. Oh, it's yeah, an amazing, a... amazing movie. It's great. It has elements of like the Tarantino style of, of writing, but it's completely not him. It's it's just a great story. I, and it was up for the Oscar in 97. I forget what won it, was. it but it yeah. was a fantastic movie and deserved the accolades and is a brilliant uh, noir crime film. It's brilliant. Yeah, such a great oh, noir Amazing film. movie. My number one is your number one. It's you can't. It's impossible. Nope. Yeah, to not exactly. say it's Memento. Memento blew me away when I saw it in the theaters. I think I said it on a podcast when we brought it up, maybe two podcasts back, three podcasts back, where I said that I drove to Atlanta to see it when I was in the military. It was the best decision I made. I went there, drove the hour, paid the money, loved Memento. It's a fantastic movie. It is a true uh, study in how so to good. write and how to 
you know, make nonlinear um, movies. I mean, end is the middle, and the movie is told from the end and the beginning at the same time. It just works its way to it, and you don't realize that until you've watched the movie a couple Kudos. of times. It's amazing. Like, yeah, it's to John and Christopher oh, Nolan just unreal. coming out and just being like, hey, we're here and we're not going anywhere. Oh, and kudos to Guy Pierce for his amazing Such great performance. Acting. He sells it. It's fantastic. The movie is just a beautiful movie the whole way through. And that is my number one. Watch this or die. And that will do it for this week's installment. We'd like to thank you again for hanging out with us and letting us gush all over you about this movie. Now, we hope you will enjoy it as much as we have. So please let us know what you thought of this movie by reaching out to us on our social media platforms. Now, we can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Watch This or Die. Feel free to DM us your thoughts on this week's movie, give us your own top five list, tell us what you did or didn't like about the show, or even suggest some movies to us. You can also email us at WatchThisOrDiePodcast at gmail.com. Now, we hope you will join us again next week for our next movie recommendation. And as always... I'm Scott Crowshire. And I'm Apple Plant. Until next time, watch this or die.